0: The Phillips Curve. For those not in the know, it's the graph that everyone refers to when they want to show that inflation has a direct causal relationship with the unemployment rate. If unemployment is low, wages will go up. But is that the case? Many are now asking, is the Phillips Curve actually dead? Today, we'll talk about how it has never been more relevant, provided you understand what William Phillips actually said. And most of us have got that wrong, probably even the central banks. It's the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keene. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. So the Federal Reserve in the United States has just published a paper called Who Killed the Phillips Curve? A Murder Mystery As Though It's Dead. So is it dead? That is the question we're asking today. It was 1958 when William Phillips made his observation about the relationship between unemployment and inflation. Mario, in fact, one of our listeners, has asked for a bit of a deep dive into the theory and whether it still stacks up today, given that uh, wages worked very differently in the 19th century to, to the, how, the way they do today. Um and, of course, in between we had, you know, a big union power, which doesn't exist anymore. And yet the principle of the Phillips curve derived from the relationship between unemployment and inflation is still used today, perhaps wrongly, by central banks when they're determining how to keep inflation in check. So, Steve, I guess the point to start with is that the Phillips curve didn't talk specifically about general inflation. No, the, William Phillips didn't really make that his focus. His fo- relationship was just between the demand for labour and the price of labour, rather than extrapolating it across the broader set of prices in the economy, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Um, he was
1: actually <clears> – <throat> he, he actually, the general position that he made was that there'd be some relationship between the price of what he called factor services, and, uh, and the level of economic activity. And that is something which is stock standard in everybody from Karl Marx to Milton Friedman. Um, so I find it laughable the way he's been treated. In fact, that paper saying who killed the Phillips curve, a better question is who killed Phillips or called his reputation because the man was a far more sophisticated thinker than this uh, caricature of the Phillips curve implies. And in fact, if I had to pick who the mainstream is caricatured more badly, worse, whatever the correct ph- phrasing is, uh, would then in, in the history of economic thought, it wouldn't be Keynes, it would actually be Bill Phillips. Because when you look at where he came from, and you've got to look back, he's not, not just the one paper. I mean, neoclassicals, I, I doubt that any of them have ever read the original Phillips paper. It's too old, you know, 1954. That's before their parents were born, they haven't even thought about this stuff. Um, but when you when you read his entire body of work, he was trying to do, using engineering concepts in the 50s, what I'm doing now with Minsky, which is bring dynamic modeling into economics. And he's, yes, he got he's, I'll, 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 I'll stop the rave now, let's go in, in detail to that over time, because there's just no way. That they, not only the way is being caricatured,
0: but the way he's being resurrected in this his fed paper, bears any relation to his original work. Well, isn't this another example of where everything has to be flattened? You know, it has to fit onto two axes. If there's a third axis, we can't cope with. <laughs> we, we can't cope with that because it won't fit into a textbook. So we flatten everything down to two axes, and this is just an example of it, isn't it? Because I mean, it was all about the dynamics, yeah. wasn't it? It wasn't the relationship between uh, just uh, wages and uh, and the, uh, and the demand for labour. It was also how that demand for labour was changing. So he basically said wages will go up. If there's a tight labour market, demand for labour is increasing rapidly. Difficult to show that on the graph. And uh, the price of goods, particularly imported goods, is, is rising rapidly. So... Uh, of course, all of those, all three of those conditions apply today. So, if the, if they're saying the Phillips curve is dead, uh, they perhaps need to go and, and check those conditions out because it seems like actually, right now, the Phillips curve is al- alive and <coughs> demonstrating itself fully.
1: Yeah, I mean, is calling the Phillips curve for a, straight, for a start. I mean, I, I use linear Phillips curve curves just for simplicity when I am doing my dynamic modelling because. Uh, this is one Tyrone says, explains very well in his series on using Minsky for modeling. If you have linear behavioral relations, then the non-linearity in the model is determined by structure. And that's really a useful way of finding out what's actually happening inside the model. What are the structural dynamics of your system. But you bring in nonlinear relationships for realism, because nothing mm. nothing is nothing is linear. Your desk isn't linear because if it was, it had spread off to the ends of the universe, it ends at a certain point. So everything in the real world is nonlinear. And you when you take that into account and have a non linear function, then you, that's, not what, that's not what gives you the dynamics. It's what constrains the dynamics to realistic values. But long rave, when you look at what Phillips had to say, first of all, he said the relationship between the level of employment and the rate of change of money wages would be highly non-linear. But he applied that to everything. He applied that to raw material costs. So to to capital inputs into manufacturing. And when you take a look at the, the paper, The Relationship Between Unemployment and the Rate of Change of Money Wages in the United Kingdom, comma 1861 to 1957, you find, as you said, that he had three factors, and these are right on the first page. Um, the first one, the demand for a commodity or service, not just labour, is high relative to the supply of it, we expect the price to rise. And that's just that applies to everything in ne- neoclassical theory to Marx, the works. In the second paragraph, it seems possible that a second factor influencing the, the rate of change of money wages might be the rate of change of demand for labour and so, so of unemployment. Thus, in a year of rising business activity, with the demand for labour increasing and the percentage of employment decreasing, employers would be bidding more vigorously for the services of labour than they would be in a year during which the average percentage of unemployment was the same, but demand for labour was not increasing. So he's saying it isn't just the level of unemployment, it's the rate of change of unemployment. And then the third factor you mentioned, the third factor, this is the third paragraph, the third factor which may affect the rate of change of money wage rate rates is the rate of change of retail prices operating through, and look at this, cost of living adjustments in wage rates. In other words, the whole wage price spiral, which neoclassicals think they discovered uh, 20 years later in
0: the 1970s, and it's there it is Mm. in in Phillips on page one of this paper. They haven't read. You didn't have to read too far. That's right. And bang, 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 there we are with all of those things today. So Mm. is he saying that on that speed, the, the, the fact that the speed of change matters, so if you had an economy with an unemployment rate stuck at, say, 2%, mm. the wage pressure would be a lot lower in that economy than an economy that is transitioning from 4% unemployment down to 2%, even though in each case you end up with the same unemployment level. Yeah. It's it's the, it's the transitioning that is creating that demand. I guess that sort of makes sense. Without thinking that the maths behind it, if you know, if things are changing, you don't know how far they're going to change. So you're you're going to react to it. you're going to see all the reaction just as the dynamics kick in. Yeah, you're extrapolating the change for you're seeing right now, and we we all do that. We you know, we
1: extrapolate current changes future, and that was one of Keynes's major insights that people do that. Even though a, a, you, you we use the rate of change of current prices as an indicator of future change. Uh, even though a cursory examination of past history would find this is an unreliable guide. But what else can you do when there's nothing else on which to base your base your expectations? So mm. Phillips is well aware of that and, and is, is using that in his thinking. And that means that, you, you, first of all, it's, not, it's no longer a curve, it's a surface. And then he says rate of change of money wages through re- change of rate, of, uh, rate of change of retail prices. That's a feedback effect. So you've got a hypersurface yeah. with feedbacks. And, and, and that was the sort of thing that if economists were actually empirically driven rather than ideologically driven, they would have taken these ideas of Phillips and extended them uh, past the the data limitations of his time and the modelling limitations of his time. And so they tried to kill the whole damn thing uh, because it it ended up effectively um, uh, arguing that... um, you, you you couldn't control the rate of inflation using interest rates, and of course that's what they were trying to do with their neoclassical models.
0: And the the, the thing about the rising costs, rising, which I mean, he talked about it being import costs, didn't he? More than more than uh, more than anything, but whatever it is that's pushing uh, the price of goods in the shop, yeah, you've got to you've got to meet your standard of living, and that's uh, so people that that pushes wages up, which is exactly what we're seeing now with the potential of creating some sort of upward spiral. The question is: Can central what can central banks do to stop that? Because it's got nothing at all to do with with interest rates.
1: Yeah, and this is the this is it. let's let's get back to talking about Phillips and himself because we've talked a bit about the uh, the current dynamics in previous um, sessions. Let's just stick to it. Was it Mario's request to, to go into the detail of it, but fundamentally mm. that's right. It, it, you've you've got them. They're, they're floundering right now because. All their tools, even though they're not aware of it, they think their tools are designed to shift people's expectations of inflation. (coughs) Pardon me, this is all the Milton Friedman stuff that began the the rot from the bastard Keynesian to the total bastard neoclassical uh, economics of the last 20 or 30 years was this shift in saying that it's all about people's expectations of inflation that actually caused the rate of inflation. And that came out of uh, Friedman's uh, The Optimal Quantity of Money paper at much the same time that uh, Phillips is doing this decent empirical work. That was the, the, you know, the, the moronic uh, rantings of, of Milton Friedman. Um, but yeah, there's, there's such sophistication to Phillips's work. And it's it's to me it's just a travesty the way his ideas have been treated.
0: So is there any recognition by the, the central bankers and the economists when they're when they're factoring in the Phillips curve when they're looking at you know trying to determine what is the supposed non accelerating inflation rate of un- unemployment this magic number which they never actually managed to effectively identify and when they do it's changed by then so they change it to something else. Mm-hmm. Do they, when they're looking at that, they're not considering any rate of change in unemployment, are they? They're just saying, okay, if unemployment hits this set level, uh, then we know there's a risk of inflation. They're not looking at the dynamic behind that, how how quickly that unemployment level is changing.
1: No, and if you can, you can even see that in this new paper, which at least they're coming out saying uh, that they're trying to bring some idea of of Phillips's. Uh, underlying dynamics back into their their modeling but that that, that particular paper the uh, who's who killed the Phillips curve a murder mystery well I'm afraid the people who are u- m- doing this model Ratner and sim don't realize they're using the tools of the murderers uh, because this is all the dynamic stochastic uh, uh, um, general equilibrium tools that that uh, that have uh, been put together by neoclassicals in the last thirty or forty years, and you know, he, he, the model economy consists of a continuum of monopolistically competitive firms which produce intermediate goods two households, one earning dividend income, the other earning labour. At least that's a class breakdown, and a government collecting lump sum taxes. Yada 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 and you get caught in a t- in a, um, a, a, a a kludgy uh, period uh, difference equation model using two periods where they're trying to work out the equilibrium. Now, if you go and look at what Phillips is doing back in 1954, you know, you're talking virtually 70 years ago, uh, take a look on page, page 306 of his paper, Stabilization Poly in a Policy in a Closed Economy in 1954, you'll see a circuit diagram. Which is the yeah. stuff I'm building in Minsky these days. So he was far more sophisticated
0: than these twits 50, 70 years later. Right. Feedback loops. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Wow. Imagine that. Mm. And there are there are so many factors, aren't there? So because uh, I mean productivity's got to be part and parcel of all of this as well. Which is something which uh, is is very different today than it was then. So I mean that is uh, that was part of Mario's question. How much of what applies today? um or applied then doesn't doesn't apply today so the dynamics in determining uh, wages obviously uh the the role of unions has changed the role of uh collective um negotiation over wages has, has changed a great deal so I mean you could arguably you you might think that would weaken the impact of uh of the you know the, the idea of a curve or a relationship between uh demand and wages
1: oh it has and like that's actually I'll give credit to Sims and co here, Ratner and Sim, because they do mention that. They, they start off with the historical situation that you had the, the crushing of the labor unions uh, in America, which began in the late 70s after the inflationary surge in the, the mid 70s. And a large part of the Vokler um, recession was such high levels of unemployment that it broke the back of the trade unions. And then you had all the, anti, the total anti-union attitude from the, from the government at the time and then relocation of production from America offshore to, to particularly China. Um, this was all just meaning that you don't dare bargain for a higher wage because you the attempt to bargain on your own against a, an employer that's far more powerful than you will find you on the streets unemployed and getting shit house unemployment benefits in the United States of America. So um, it, it is a breaking of that, that bargaining power. But it doesn't mean that bargaining power goes away. It just means it can't be exercised as smoothly as it's done by a union bargaining over over uh, wages and looking at the current rate of unemployment and so on. It'll it'll be much more spiky because uh, it'll only be when there's such short uh, such such uh, low unemployment. That firms themselves start putting up wages to try to attract workers from other firms, and then you'll get a really serious spike. You won't get the slow, uh, gradual increase in, in wages that uh,
0: that Phillips identified. Uh, you'll get a jump. Mm. But at that point also, those companies, and obviously there's a lag involved in this, but if, if wages are going up, if they have to negotiate for wages to go up so high... Then they're going to be looking at other ways, other means of production, aren't they? They're going to look at introducing machinery, which might increase productivity. So that's another dynamic to throw into all of this: it's the, the role of productivity.
1: Oh yeah, and, and well, and, and also the role of you know, basically, not so much productivity as improving technology and having a, you know more more uh, productive capital equipment, uh, you know, processing a larger amount of energy, taking. Uh, you know, fossil fuel energy, as it is at the moment, taking the place of labour uh, in the manufacturing process. That's uh, that's the, the common factor that's actually driven the increase in living standards over time. And this is something mm. which Phillips also spoke about, and so does uh, Richard Goodwin, uh, who's probably the, the the greatest successor of, of Phillips in a, a line from the same uh, type of thinking. He said that the the feedback between workers demanding wage rises and capitalists trying to avoid wage rises by improving the productivity of machinery so you need less labour. He said over time in a cyclical fashion that has led to rising wages in real terms and rising profits in real terms. So that's actually a positive symbiotic relationship between workers and capitalists.
0: Uh, right. break- so wages are going up just be, just out of the goodness of the hearts of the companies. Oh, of course, they, say, they well, do. Okay, they well, well, because they love workers. <laughs> yeah, you know. So, so what what- <laughs> But I mean, they've got, I guess they've got you know, they've got larger margins, and people can see that. So perhaps that becomes the incentive for you to negotiate for your salary to go, go, go yeah. up a bit. But I mean, because if you saw an economy, uh, you know, increase its productivity by I don't know, say two percent, but everyone's salary stayed the same, then the price of goods would theoretically come down, wouldn't they? And that would, uh, uh, you know, pe- people would be better off uh, even if they were on the same salary, although we'd, you know, I guess we'd then start to get deflation if, if that was happening, which interestingly is what we were looking at, wasn't it, just before, uh, largely from uh, decreasing cost of imports rather than uh, gains in productivity. But that's where we were before the pandemic, of mm. course. We were in mm. exactly that situation.
1: And now what you've got is, I mean, partly because of the level of government spending has created so much additional demand in the economy, um, yeah, and, and people, are, uh, it, the, the boom in, in, in the cash in people's accounts from the size of the deficits has driven unemployment down to very low levels. This is, again, quite consistent with modern monetary theory thinking. And that has then meant that with that in, in the um, extremely tight labor market that America now finds itself in, in particular, uh, to get workers, firms have to put wages up. But at the same time, there'd also be decisions about uh, investment. Uh, to try to reduce the need for the demand for labour. And that's part of the creative uh, aspect of of this uh, wage labour, uh, wage versus cap, uh, profit competition.
0: But this has all happened so quickly, which again just reinforces that point uh, from Phillips way back then, that it's the speed of change that counts.
1: Yeah, and and that's again. The Phillips himself couldn't analyze that. This is again. You have to look at the historical circumstances of when did he do this paper? And he wrote the paper in nineteen fifty-seven. Um, that's a few years before the development of the iPhone. Yeah, so what Iatka had to do quite and quite literally, physically, he borrowed a manual calculator, literally a hand crank thing, from the the office secretary. I forgot which university he was at. I'll see if I can spot that here. will not cheat. Um, Nup um, can't spot it, but he would have been, I think, one of, one of the English universities. And he said, this study is part of a wider research project, project oh, oh, from a finance fire grant from the Ford Foundation. The writer was assisted by Mrs. Marjorie Kionarides, who I presume is the person who taught him how to use the, the handheld calculator. So he, what he had was when he, when he put his data together, he went through and he found a whole series of. Uh, Indices of average uh, of wages and wage rises and the and un- the unemployment rate, which he had to construct from trade union records because at that stage the government didn't maintain data on unemployment. So he put the series together and he got a number of dot points of unemployment, which he put on the horizontal axis, and the rate of change of money wages, which he put on the vertical axis. And there are about I think there's about although well, like eighteen sixty one to nineteen thirteen there's about fifty data points. Now. He wasn't going to hand crack his way through 50 data points uh, in trying to fit a curve to it. So he chose seven ranges and he fitted the, the curve to the averages of the unemployment rate and the averages of the wage money wage change across those seven divisions. And that's what uh, gave him his curve.
0: He's seeing a change in, in, uh, in the levels of employment can be you know pretty spurty can't it you know it could can be for for a very short period of time and then it it levels itself off and it's driven by a number of factors which you know he clearly identified a number of them and we're going through that right now but it's not going to last forever so i guess my question is you know over what time scale was he seeing most of those sudden rapid changes happening like we're seeing now because isn't there a danger that we that we are saying, well, OK, we're going to uh, a, a destination when it comes to the unemployment level, uh, and that's going to create a, a, a destination in terms of where we're going to see the inflation level. But, you know, maybe the central banks were right in the first place, that it's transitory, because it's a, it, this is a period of transition, which is seeing this uh, sudden change in uh, in unemployment and this sudden, rapid rise in inflation, but it might all settle down again very quickly. But in the meantime, a lot of damage has been done by central banks pushing up interest rates, people defaulting on houses, jobs disappearing, uh, livelihoods being destroyed, all because we are assuming uh, that uh, this isn't a, a transition that will settle down.
1: Yeah, and, and again, if you look at Phillips's work, he was expecting these things to be cyclical, uh, and, mm. and like when when you look at his. Uh, the paper, the 1954 paper, uh, stabilization policy in a closed economy. What he was looking at is is if you if you wanted to, um, uh, well, your 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 relationship between uh, wages, employment rate, and wages uh, would be something that feeds into a dynamic uh, system, which would be cycling up and down that relationship. You wouldn't reach an equilibrium. And in fact, in his final final part of the paper, he's actually looking at whether the system is stable or not. Now when you look at uh, Goodwin's work, you find the system is unstable, uh, not, not in terms of exploding all the time, but the uh, there's no, um, uh, whatever unemployment relationship you put in, if you leave out the rate of change of wages, then you get a system which maintains permanent cycles. So it isn't possible to uh, to dampen this thing and control it, and that's when you've got an extremely simple notion of a uh, this the single, one-dimensional un- unemployment to wage rate, wage change relationship. You haven't got the rate of change of unemployment
0: built in there as well. Of course, the central bank's big fear is that um, those cycles are just going to get worse. So. Uh, And particularly, you know, you get that wage increase cycle. So, uh, you know, cost of living goes up. I demand higher wages. The fact that I've demanded higher wages means the cost of goods goes up. Therefore, uh, prices go up. Therefore, I demand higher wages. And so it it goes on. That's their big fear because they're not expecting that to settle down. And yet... um, and, and well, they're, 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 they might be right on that, mainly. they?
1: Well, they're, th- they're thinking that it's going to continue in the same direction and that putting up interest rates will reduce it. Now, partly this comes down to what sort of inflation we've got right now. Is it inflation of the 1970s? Uh, is it inflation of the 1870s when Phillips was actually uh, looking, looking, putting the data together? Or is it, is it a new beast entirely? And there's a very good argument that it's a new beast entirely mm. uh, because this is driven by... Um, uh, supply chain blockages, and as, as well as the d- demand from government money creation, supply chain blockages and the breakdown of the global uh, manufacturing chain, and that will mean rising prices regardless what happens to wages, because you've got people paying, uh, you know, cost, time is money type costs on shipping goods from one side of the world to the other and suddenly it's taking two or three times as long to get those goods through. So the interest rate costs are going to be part of the cost of production and that means if you put the interest rate up, you're likely to put the costs up as well. So you're going to actually make make partly make the cause of inflation worse by trying to dampen it using interest rate rises alone. I think
0: all of this demonstrates, doesn't it, just how complicated it all is. And even uh, Phillips would find perhaps uh, if he was doing his work today that there's so many other factors he... Uh, and so many cycles and so many uh, feedback loops that he needs to take into account, particularly when we're looking at on an, int- the, the, on an international de- uh, dimension. So if your economy isn't doing well, you know, you could see that your currency is your value, So import costs go up. So CPIs hit harder. The demand for wages could go up even more. Wherever you look, there's a, there's another feedback, yeah. which just goes to demonstrate the idea of putting this down to a two-dimensional graph is perhaps just a little bit stupid. Not a little bit stupid. We're talking economics here. <laughs> it's monumentally stupid.
1: So yes, it, it, it is a caricature of, the, of you know very worthwhile research which should have been extended and continued. And because it challenges the whole neoclassical obsession with equilibrium, they throw it out and then find ways to uh, try to neutralise the whole argument, when in fact, the, their own models can't work without a Phillips curve. They have to have some relationship between the level of employment and the rate of change of, uh, of wages. In their case, they'll make them real real rather than money wages. Um, otherwise, they can't get to their own equilibrium.
0: Yeah, and it is those... Those input costs as well, which is the other dimension which is just, just ignored, as though he he never even looked at it.
1: And he did. I mean, again, they think, wow, we discovered cost-push inflation or we, or we discovered feedback. No, you didn't. Phillips was talking about it 20, 30 years before you guys wrote guys, right, and 70 years before you'd ask him whether it's been murdered or not. So it, it is, um, again, it's infuriating seeing how they you know, d- distort good work and don't build on it. And, you know, th- 70 years after Phillips is working with uh, circuit diagrams and differential equations. They're working with the equilibrium and difference equations. So when he was talking
0: about uh, predominantly import costs, I mean, whether it's the cost of imports or it's – and perhaps, you know, there wasn't so much uh, room for increases in productivity back then, certainly to the extent that we can see today with the use of, of technology. But it, it amounts to the same thing, doesn't it? Whether you've, if, you, if you're living in a semi-closed economy – the cost of importing stuff, if it's cheaper, uh, then the impact that that has is pretty similar to if you produce something domestically and you can make it cheaper because of a, a, a gain in productivity. But I mean, is that um, d- does that flow on? Is that how does that interplay into this into this model between uh, wages and inflation? Because I could see a case, although it would take a long time. That if wages are going up and inflation is going up then the answer to all of that would be to improve your productivity wouldn't it but I mean you're not going to do that overnight That that, that that's, again there's a lag involved in all of this that's the other dimension to all of this it's the lag factor which uh, obviously economists tend to ignore yeah. as though things happen overnight time dynamics and then again this is what
1: Phillips was perfectly equipped to work on this stuff because he was an engineer so what he was doing mm. is bringing engineering concepts in and thinking in terms of engineering mathematics and that this is you know it's it's it's. I think if I showed if I took off the dates, and people we had people who weren't aware of the change in the nature of the language, and showed neoclassical papers versus Phillips, and asked them when were they written, I think they'd think the neoclassical papers
0: were written in 1950 and Phillips was written in 2020. Is it dangerous though to use the Phillips curve now? Because because it has been simplified to such an extent, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it safer to say? Let's ignore the Phillips curve because we got it all wrong. Let's just accept the fact that there are so many dynamic influences that uh, we need a far more complex model. And if we if we try and simplify it by uh, using things like the Phillips curve and then saying the Phillips curve is dead because uh, we're not seeing that relationship working at the st- at the level we've simplified it down to, um, you know, it, perhaps we're we're just better off ignoring it and just saying, yep, he did a lot of work on uh, on on dynamics. And uh, we need to do more of that. And there's more dynamics around today. There's more influence. Well, no, it's, one, it's, it's once you embed this stuff in
1: dynamics, you overcome all those problems. Mm. I mean, because he's, he, and that's what he was doing. It literally, if you take a look at the, the 1954 paper, I said on page, where are we? We've gone past it now. Uh, page three hundred and eight. He literally has a hand drawing, figure eleven. Level of production on the horizontal axis, rate of change of prices on the vertical, and he's drawn a sort of hyperbolic curve uh, on that on that diagram. And what he what he was doing when he did the research in nineteen fifty seven for the paper published in fifty eight was trying to verify that a relationship like that existed. And he's correct when you have. And he, he said it's highly nonlinear. linear uh, The the reason for saying it's nonlinear linear is that at, at low levels of high levels of unemployment, workers will accept wage cuts, but they won't accept wage cuts that mean they starve to death while they go to work. They'll stop working. Uh, so you'll you, you, you'll have a, a a maximum rate of decline of wages, which will be. Um, it won't be a linear extrapolation of the, of the wage rises when you have high employment. So there's a, a bottom level for the rate of change of, of, of wages in one direction. And then when you get close to high uh, high employment, the sky's the limit, off goes the curve. And so that's what he rationalized uh, in, in thinking about it hypothetically. And then the paper in 58 was was putting some empirical data on it. And the, if you want, the intriguing thing is why did it have such a major impact upon policy? and Phillips himself spoke about this later, It's because when you, when you looked at the... He derived a curve from 1861 to 1913 data, and then he fitted that to data from, uh, I think, 1920 to 19, uh, 19, 1848 to 1957, pardon me. And the, the, the data for the, uh, for the you know, roughly 20 years that he looked at, or you know, 10, 10 years uh, of unemployment after the Second World War, was almost glued to the da- to the curve that he derived from data from eighteen sixty one to nineteen thirteen, and that made it look like not so much just a, a nonlinear relationship, uh, but one that was sort of as solid as the the moon and stars. It was, it, was it, looked, it looked like it was fixed in the in the firmament, and <clears throat> that then. Led people to thinking, well, that's just a menu. You can choose a, you know, choose an unemployment rate you want, and that'll tell you the rate of change of money wages. Mm. And then you subtract uh, on the productivity, and that'll tell you the rate of change, rate of change of of, of of prices. And he actually, one great pity, he actually made a statement like that in this saying, if you want a particular rate of uh, of of um, money wage of of, of of price change, this is the rate of unemployment to choose. Uh, if you want a rate of uh, stable prices, this is the rate to choose. And it looked like a menu, and that's how it was interpreted by politicians. Um, so they thought they'd you know, simplified the whole issue. It's just you, know, you choose the unemployment rate, choose the inflation rate that that gives you, and you've got to live with the trade. And and that's what set us up for the the, the fall guy type arguments that Milton Friedman developed. Yeah,
0: there we are. So he was his own worst enemy in that respect. Yeah. But, I mean, those people are saying that the, the Phillips curve is dead, including perhaps the Fed. Uh, if we get back to those three conditions that we talked about early on: tight labour market, yes, check, got that right now. Demand for labour is increasing rapidly, yes, mm. got that right now. Uh, and the price of goods, particularly the price of imports, because of the supply chain difficulties, is mm. is rising rapidly. Uh, we are in a period that completely supports Phillips' observations uh, on steroids, yep. really, aren't yep. we? The Phillips yep. curve has never been more alive.
1: Indeed, and and it isn't. You know, the whole idea that it died, what died were the brains of economists. Um, so their their brain-dead interpretation of Phillips led to this argument that it was all over and now now it's back again. Uh, But as I said, one one important change is the structural change. You don't have trade unions Mm. worthy of the name anymore. So it's no longer a case of workers bargaining for wage rises with a collective unit that lets them do that against the intimidating force of the employers. It's employers themselves finding we can't get labour in here, we've got to whack the prices up. And so what you get is a much more... Um, staccato it's a staccato approach to wage rises rather than the, the smoothing, the dampening effect that, in fact, trade unions
0: had on the rate of change of money wages. Well, Who Killed the Phillips Curve? A Murder Mystery is that paper from the Fed. I think we just need to change the title. Who Killed Monetary Policy? A Murder Mystery. That might be a more interesting read. <laughs> um, good to talk, Steve. We'll catch you again next time. Okay. And an interesting one next week. Uh, we're going to revisit the tragedy of the commons. You know that idea that, uh, you know, if you uh, overgraze at the commons... Uh, Then the commons deteriorates and so nobody really benefits. So, how do you control something which is uh, a public good that's in common ownership, like the planet Earth, for example? Uh, We're destroying that quite effectively, aren't we? So, how do we control the commons? A big question that's very, very relevant today, not just for uh, the environment, but also for energy supplies. It raises the question about public ownership versus private ownership. So, an interesting discussion next week on all of that. Join us for that. The Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. See you next week.